Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And in this first part of our two-part series, we are going to be talking about a spiritual practice that we have yet to discuss, and that is centering prayer. What is this contemplative practice? How is it helpful for us in our relationship with God? These are some of the questions that we will definitely answer in this first part of our series. And then in the second part, we will share some of our stories in practicing centering prayer. So let's not wait any further and let's just jump into the conversation. Kim, we promised that we were going to dive into some spiritual practices that we consider tools to help us grow in our intimacy with God. Some of those tools we've talked about before. We've talked about examine, and we've talked about Lectio Divina, and we even shared a newer one last season, Visio Divina. But we've never talked about centering prayer before, and it seems like a good one to tackle to help people in their search for tools, practical tools, that can help them grow in their intimacy with God. So let's start with what is centering prayer? This one I'd say is probably, at least for me, the newest practice. I don't know that either of us would call ourselves an expert on this one. But from my understanding from the research, this is... In a loose definition, it's been around at least within, especially within the Catholic circles, for quite a long time. But as we know Centering Prayer now, and as it's become more accessible to the public, that was about the 1970s. So Thomas Keating and two of his friends were the ones who brought this into a more public circle. They wanted to make this accessible to people who weren't in monasteries, who weren't necessarily spending their lives as monks. They were also influenced by Thomas Merton and his writings and teachings of the time. So it's almost kind of a joint effort between Thomas Keating and Thomas Merton and Keating's two other friends. What do you know about Thomas Merton and how he influenced Thomas Keating? His description of contemplative prayer as being centered entirely on the presence of God is how they came across the name that they wound up going with, which was Centering prayer makes sense once you know what centering prayer actually is. And though he never practiced centering prayer, as you mentioned, Thomas Merton, he practiced God's presence in ways that that I would say were comparative. But yeah, it was Thomas Keating who really honed this idea of centering prayer, even coined the, the phrase, I would say, with his friends. Now, I... While I love Thomas Merton and I love his writings, I am not a huge fan of Thomas Keating. There are things that Thomas Keating teaches that I'm not, I'm not a fan of. I, I would put him, in some ways, in the progressive category of Richard Rohr and Christopher Hertz. I would not agree with him on some of his beliefs. And so I just want to make that clear that... There's things I disagree with with Thomas Keating, but just like there's people who teach about prayer that I may not necessarily agree with everything that they teach, but the practices themselves hold up. So I just want to make that clear. One of the things I would say I disagree with Thomas Keating is on the idea of who is God and who is man and the separation between us. He is quoted as saying, the only thing that separates God and man is the thought that we're separate. 
And this is the danger of what's called panentheism. It's different from pantheism, which is the idea that everything is God, but it holds a similar note. It's not really that different from New Age, that really God is us. Not like Christianity's idea of God being in us because he's placed his Holy Spirit in us. The very distinct and separate triune community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming to live in man, that's scriptural. Even in his approach to centering prayer, I disagree with. I don't practice his view of centering prayer, which is the echo of all thoughts. The way we practice it is different than what Father Keating would teach. So, what is centering prayer? At its simplest form, it's simply being quiet with God, focusing on His presence. Um, They often encourage you to find a word, or I've heard some people invite you to find a picture. Depends on who you're hearing this from. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I often will focus on a phrase, a word, or a picture. I always ask God to show me what is it I need to focus in on? Yeah. And then it is sitting in silence with that word or phrase. And ideally, that's what you're focusing on. You're not focusing on your external world, which, of course, that makes this one one of the more difficult ones in some ways, because most of us, or at least me, get very easily distracted by noises and thoughts and Life in general, we're not used to slowing down and stopping very often, which can make this one a challenge when you're not used to it. A lot of the times, the first time we start sitting still and trying to, I like that we're trying to be quiet, the first thing that happens is our brains start going for loops and spins and everything that we've been avoiding by keeping ourselves busy all of a sudden makes an appearance in our thoughts. Since most of the time the reason we're keeping busy is to avoid those things can make this a bit of an unpleasant experience at first, especially for those of us who like avoiding our unpleasant memories or thoughts or whatnot. Humanity as a whole is really good at avoiding. I mean, I would say that this is actually a symptom of, of our postmodern age. When it comes to individual Christ followers, we all struggle, I think, if I'm going to speak for the church in the West in general, we all struggle in a world where there's always noise to get quiet and be still with God. And I think the main reason why the moment we sit down to be still in God's presence and to allow God to speak to us, what are the first kind of thoughts that rise to the surface and even feelings? They're mostly negative. Mostly negative. And typically, if we're sitting down to pray, and the first things that as we settle in for prayer, the, f- the first things that we think and feel are of the negative quality and connotation, what does that usually tell us about God, or what we allow that to tell us about God? I can only speak for me, but for me it was always just like, oh, well, he's judging me, or I can't measure up to what he's expecting of me. You know, like there's, there's a lot of distance just, you know, oh, I can't get close to him. Like, he's not a safe place. Because every time I try to get close to him, all I experience is all these painful things. So for me, that was definitely a big one. of just going, like, every time I try to get close to you, God, like, 
all these painful memories get brought up or all these painful things get brought up and I'm like I don't like pain so why am I going closer to you this seems to be having the opposite effect of what I would hope to have and I think a lot of people find themselves in that same loop of wanting to be close to God but being scared of the emotions and all the negative thoughts that get brought up when they try that yeah I don't think we have a good understanding for the most part of what spirit these spiritual practices are meant to bring about in us and we also even more so don't have a clear picture of who God is even though we have scripture that tells us things like Romans 8 1 there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but somehow we miss that verse in in our practical spiritual life. Like it's a verse on paper, but it somehow doesn't apply or we don't think of it or we don't let that become a filter when we sit down to pray. And all that negativity and condemnation that we feel and shame and anxiety when we sit down to pray, somehow that verse does not help us filter all that stuff out or see that that negativity can't be God. I'm not saying... And I want to be clear that God doesn't convict us because scripture does say he he convicts us. One of the the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. But what is sin? Isn't sin fundamentally us resisting and rebelling and disagreeing with God? And if God has told us there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and we sit down and we feel judged and ashamed, We've missed the very thing that he's calling us into. He's calling us back to what we experienced before the fall. Genesis 2 is the perfect illustration of that. Adam and Eve are described as... Naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. In other words, to be naked is the, is the deepest kind of intimacy because there's nothing, not even a layer of clothes, dividing you, separating you, I should say, from another person. And so to be completely vulnerable and intimate and naked before God and each other and completely unashamed is quite a statement that there's literally nothing to hide and nothing to be ashamed of. So when we feel condemned, there is someone who is called the accuser in scripture, and it isn't God. Yeah, I mean, Satan's described as the accuser. So our enemy, the one who's also goes about roaring like a lion seeking to devour, doesn't really sound like someone we should be listening to. Right. And right there in the garden, his first lies were telling Adam and Eve that God was a liar, making God, who is the truth, out to be a liar and making Satan, who God calls the father of lies, making him out to be the truth teller. And so conviction of sin is really God convicting us to see where we have agreed with the enemy and disagreed with God. And God says of himself that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I say this all the time, Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls, for I am gentle and humble or lowly in spirit or humble in heart. How much more do we need to see that God is calling us to rest, and not just physical rest, but emotional rest, mental rest? He is the safe place for us. So, this is a big thing, not just with centering prayer, but with spiritual practices. When we sit down, we allow the enemy to make us believe those accusatory and shameful thoughts are really God 
Ephesians 6.16 says to take on the shield of faith to protect us from the flaming arrows of the enemy. What does fire do, right? Burns everything up. Yeah, exactly. It consumes us. And yet God is also called a consuming fire in Scripture. So we have two ways of going. We either allow God to consume us in his infinite love and celebration over us. Zephaniah 3 even says in the Old Testament, he sings songs over us. Wow. And in the New Testament, we're told we can, we can know and rely on the love God has for us. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, tells us that love rejoices in the truth. Okay? And God is love, as 1 John 4 says, so God rejoices in the truth. And later, Paul even says, who wrote that passage, that one day he will fully know as he is fully known. Wow, that's beautiful. Put that together. God, who is love, rejoices in the truth, and we are fully known. So God knows us fully, celebrates us fully, rejoices in the truth of who we are. And when he's convicting us of sin, it's because we're believing the lies of the enemy who's accusing us to bring about shame in us. And God's whole point of conviction is this. Will you give that to me? Can I carry that shame for you? Can you please give me your weariness and heavy burden? So conviction is really God inviting us to surrender that shame as we sit down to pray. So here's an important distinction I make between Thomas Keating's version of Centering Prayer and how I operate in it. He would say that Centering Prayer is the teaching that we are to ignore or set aside all of our thoughts and feelings. And I would say God invites us to give them to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. What are we to do? I'm going to listen to Jesus rather than Thomas Keating on this one. I'm not to ignore those thoughts and feelings, those things that are really burdens internally to me. I'm to bring them to him and surrender them to him. So centering prayer and all prayer is really the moment of being still, recognizing the negativity, the thoughts of condemnation, the thoughts of shame, the feelings of shame, but not to push them aside or get up and run away and ignore them. Ignoring is not on any level the answer. The answer is to face these things, be aware of them as they rise up in us and offer them to God. So centering prayer, being still before God, is another tool to help us be aware of what's going on inside. Now there is something that makes it different than other forms of prayer, and you've begun to talk about that. Yeah, so we talked about the sacred word or phrase or picture. So that is different, as you said, asking God for what that looks like, because it could be different each time. It doesn't always have to be the same thing. It could be the name of Jesus. I think one time I had a picture of his pierced hands. But then to take that and have that be the focus while you're being still, especially once you've given all the stuff that's brought up to God, laying that down, not letting it park on your territory in your head, giving it back to where it belongs, which is God's territory and not ours. Just keep that in focus because the idea is you're using that word to help focus on God's presence in the middle of that stillness and silence, which is, is a lot different. A lot of the other ones, there's a lot more talking and a lot less listening. 
So focusing on the word helps us just focus more on just his presence and being present to his presence in the moment. If he wants to bring something up and has something he wants to say, we're in a place where it's a little bit more easy for us to hear that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually probably where you have more experience than I do. Most of my experiences with it have actually been more from probably Keating or Christopher Hertz. Neither of which we really <laughs> endorse as spiritual teachers. When it comes to theology, no. the practice itself, I would say, is to find some place where you're not going to be disturbed where you won't be interrupted, and then ask God to give you one word or a short phrase or a picture that you may hold out to him. In your mind, you hold whatever comes up, you hold that out to him and ask him to speak into it. And when distractions come up, they won't just come up at the beginning, they will come up all the way through this practice. Believe me, I know. Again, do not ignore them, do not shut them aside, and do not give up and run away from this practice. Just confess them. Every relationship is built on two things, love and trust. And to have trust, you really have to speak the truth. You have to share yourself with the other person and receive them. This is really the triune life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been giving themselves fully to each other and receiving each other fully for all of eternity. That's intimate relationship and community. Centering prayer is a part of that, where we get still enough to see all the negativity that's rising to the surface, give it to him as it rises up, the accusations, the condemnations, the memories of the moments we said and did stupid things like we all do. Give those to God and ask him, if you want to speak into those, you have access to me and you have every right to say whatever you want in those. I give those to you. And then I go back to the image or the word or the phrase that I believe God has given to me. And that's really the whole practice. It's a very simple practice. It's not easy because of the reasons we have already said, but it's a very simple practice. Anyone can do it. The most effective way of doing this is at least carve out a 15 or 20 minute window the first time. That's not a lot of time. Most TV shows are at least 30 minutes. I think we can take 15 to 20 minutes to allow God to speak and pour life into us and speak love over us. I would just still caveat even that with the if that 15 to 20 feels too overwhelming, because some of us need to start what someone I read called stupidly small. (laughs) Because there's times where the idea of 15, 20 minutes of silence can scare the crud out of someone. Speaking as someone who has struggled with that idea, start with five minutes. If five minutes is, is what you feel capable of, do that. It is a practice. Yeah, 15 to 20 minutes, yeah, that's shorter than a TV episode. But sometimes our brains make things much bigger than they appear to be. So taking the small wins and then building on them can be a much better way of making these things practices that become habits. Yeah, I would agree. So we've talked about centering prayer. It's a tool to help us grow in our intimacy with God. The more intimate we become with God and knowing Him, the more mature we become because we're allowing Him to pour into us His own divine self, clothe us in Himself. We're finite creatures. We don't have love within ourselves. We don't have joy or patience. We don't have righteousness within ourselves. 
anything we need is a gift from God. Life itself is a gift from Him. When we take the time to be open vessels, and that's what this practice is doing, is teaching us to be open to seeing God and allowing God to pour into us. And as He is infinite and we are finite, when we allow the infinite God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to pour love into us, it's infinite and we can't contain it. And so it overflows out of us to everyone else. So this is, this is a process of receiving. Again, the, this is the triune life, giving in, of themselves fully to each other and receiving each other fully. And this is what they, how they approach us. And this is how we are to approach them. So centering prayer is a way to be still and allow God to pour himself out to us and to become aware we're resisting that. Not to ignore it, but to confess where we find resistance, where we find distracting thoughts, where we find condemning thoughts or feelings, and giving them to Him and surrendering them to Him and allowing Him to pour into us. We will end this first part of our two-part series on Centering Prayer right here. Thank you so much for listening, and before you go, if you have any questions or prayer requests, you can contact me by email, kurt at elevatesLO.com. We would also encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel because there you can leave comments and we can interact as a community on that platform. And last, before we go, please remember from God's perspective, you are His beloved, so be loved.